Part Four, Section Eight of the Song of the Lark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingning. The Song of the Lark by Willa Cyber Cather. Part Four, Section Eight. On the first day of September, Fred Ottenberg and Thea Kronborg left Flagstaff by the eastbound express. As the bright morning advanced, they sat alone on the rear platform of the observation car, watching the yellow miles unfold and disappear. With complete content, they saw the brilliant empty country flash by. They were tired of the desert and the dead races of a world without change or ideas fred said he was glad to sit back and let the santa fe do the work for a while and where are we going anyhow he added to chicago i suppose where else would we be going thea hunted for a handkerchief in her handbag i wasn't sure so i had the trunks checked to albuquerque we can recheck there to chicago if you like why chicago you'll never go back to bowers why wouldn't this be a good time to make a run for it we could take the southern branch at albuquerque down to el paso and then over into mexico we are exceptionally free nobody waiting for us anywhere thea sighted along the steel rails that quivered in the light behind them i don't see why i couldn't marry you in chicago as well as any place she brought out with some embarrassment fred took the handbag out of her nervous clasp and swung it about on his finger you've no particular love for that spot have you besides as i've told you my family would make a row they are an excitable lot they discuss and argue everlastingly the only way i can ever put anything through is to go ahead and convince them afterward yes i understand i don't mind that i don't want to marry your family i'm sure you wouldn't want to marry mine but i don't see why we have to go so far when we get to winslow you look about the freight yards and you'll probably see several yellow cars with my name on them that's why my dear when your visiting card is on every beer bottle you can't do things quietly things get into the papers as he watched her troubled expression he grew anxious he leaned forward on his camp chair and kept twirling the handbag between his knees here's a suggestion thea he said presently dismiss it if you don't like it suppose we go down to mexico on the chance you've never seen anything like mexico city it will be a lark for you anyhow if you change your mind and don't want to marry me you can go back to chicago and i'll take a steamer from vera cruz and go up to new york when i get to chicago you'll be at work and nobody will ever be the wiser no reason why we shouldn't both travel in mexico is there you'll be traveling alone i'll merely tell you the right places to stop and come to take you driving i won't put any pressure on you have i ever he swung the bag toward her and looked up under her hat. No, you haven't, she murmured. 
she was thinking that her own position might be less difficult if he had used what he called pressure he clearly wished her to take the responsibility you have your own future in the back of your mind all the time fred began and i have it in mine i'm not going to try to carry you off as i might another girl if you wanted to quit me i couldn't hold you no matter how many times you had married me i don't want to overpersuade you but i'd like mighty well to get you down to that jolly old city where everything would please you and give myself a chance then if you thought you could have a better time with me than without me i'd try to grab you before you change your mind you are not a sentimental person thea drew her veil down over her face i think i am a little about you she said quietly fred's irony somehow hurt her what's at the bottom of your mind thea he asked hurriedly i can't tell why do you consider it at all if you are not sure why are you here with me now her face was half averted he was thinking that it looked older and more firm almost hard under a veil isn't it possible to do things without having any very clear reason she asked slowly i have no plane in the back of my mind now that i am with you i want to be with you that's all i can't settle down to being alone again i'm here today because i want to be with you today she paused one thing though if i gave you my word i'd keep it and you could hold me though you don't seem to think so maybe i'm not sentimental but i'm not very light either if i went off with you like this it wouldn't be to amuse myself ottenburg's eyes fell his lips worked nervously for a moment do you mean that you really care for me thea kronborg he asked unsteadily i guess so it's like anything else it takes hold of you and you've got to go through with it even if you are afraid i was afraid to leave moonstone and afraid to leave hassani but i had to go through with it and are you afraid now fred asked slowly yes more than i have ever been but i don't think i could go back the past closes up behind one somehow one would rather have a new kind of misery the old kind seems like death or unconsciousness you can't force your life back into that mode again no one can't go back she rose and stood by the back grating of the platform her hand on the brass rail fred went to her side she pushed up her veil and turned her most glowing face to him her eyes were wet and there were tears on her lashes but she was smiling the rare whole-hearted smile he had seen once or twice before he looked at her shining eyes her parted lips her chin a little lifted it was as if they were colored by a sunrise he could not see he put his hand over hers and clasped it with a strength she felt her eyelashes trembled her mouth softened but her eyes were still brilliant will you always be like you were down there if i go with you she asked under her breath his fingers tightened over hers by god i will he muttered that's the only promise i'll ask you for now go away for a while and let me think about it 
Come back at lunchtime, and I'll tell you. Would that do? Anything will do, Thea, if you'll only let me keep an eye on you. The rest of the world doesn't interest me much. You've got me in deep. Fred dropped her hand and turned away, as he glanced back from the front end of the observation car. He saw that she was still standing there, and anyone would have known that she was brooding over something. The earnestness of her head and shoulders had a certain nobility. He stood looking at her for a moment. When he reached the forward smoking car, Fred took a seat at the end, where he could shut the other passengers from his sight. He put on his traveling cap and sat down wearily, keeping his head near the window. In any case, I shall help her more than I shall hurt her, he kept saying to himself. He admitted that this was not the only motive which impelled him, but it was one of them. I'll make it my business in life to get her on. There's nothing else I care about so much as seeing her have her chance. She hasn't touched her real force yet. She isn't even aware of it. Lord, don't I know something about them? There isn't one of them that has such a depth to draw from. She'll be one of the great artists of our time playing accompaniments for that cheese-faced sneak. I'll get her off to Germany this winter, or take her. She hasn't got any time to waste now. I'll make it up to her all right. Ottenburg certainly meant to make it up to her, in so far as he could. His feeling was as generous as strong human feelings are likely to be. The only trouble was that he was married already, and had been since he was twenty. His older friends in Chicago, people who had been friends of his family, knew of the unfortunate state of his personal affairs, but they were people whom in the natural course of things Thea Kronborg would scarcely meet. Mrs. Frederick Ottenberg lived in California at Santa Barbara, where her health was supposed to be better than elsewhere, and her husband lived in Chicago. He visited his wife every winter to reinforce her position, and his devoted mother, although her hatred for a daughter-in-law was scarcely approachable in words, went to Santa Barbara every year to make things look better and to relieve her son. When Frederick Ottenberg was beginning his junior year at Harvard, he got a letter from Dick Brisbane, a Kansas City boy he knew, telling him that his fiancée, Miss Edith Beers was going to New York to buy her trousseau. She would be at the Holland House with her aunt and a girl from Kansas City who was to be a bridesmaid for two weeks or more. If Ottenburg happened to be going down to New York, would he call upon Miss Beers and show her a good time? Fred did happen to be going to New York. He was going down from New Haven after the Thanksgiving game. He called on Miss Beers and found her, as he that night telegraphed Brisbane, a ripping beauty, no mistake. He took her and her aunt and her uninteresting friend to the theater and to the opera, and he asked them to lunch with him at the Waldorf. He took no little pains in arranging the luncheon with the head waiter. Miss Beers was the sort of girl with whom a young man liked to seem experienced. She was dark and slender and fiery. She was witty and slangy, 
said daring things and carried them off with nonchalance her childish extravagance and contempt for all the serious facts of life could be charged to her father's generosity and his long packing-house purse freaks that would have been vulgar and ostentatious in a more simple-minded girl in miss beers seemed whimsical and picturesque she darted about in magnificent furs and pumps and close clinging gowns though that was the day of full skirts her hats were large and floppy when she wriggled out of her moleskin coat at luncheon she looked like a slim black weasel her satin dress was a mere sheath so conspicuous by its severity and scantness that everyone in the dining-room stared she ate nothing but alligator pear salad and hothouse grapes drank a little champagne and took cognac in her coffee she ridiculed in the raciest slang the singers they had heard at the opera the night before and when her aunt pretended to reprove her she murmured indifferently what's the matter with you old sport she rattled on with a subdued loquaciousness always keeping her voice low and monotonous always looking out of the corner of her eye and speaking as it were in asides out of the corner of her mouth she was scornful of everything which became her eyebrows her face was mobile and discontented her eyes quick and black there was a sort of smouldering fire about her young ottenburg thought she entertained him prodigiously after luncheon miss beers said she was going uptown to be fitted and that she would go alone because her aunt made her nervous when fred held her coat for her she murmured thank you alphonse as if she were addressing the waiter as she stepped into a hansom with a long stretch of thin silk stocking she said negligently over her fur collar better let me take you alone and drop you somewhere he sprang in after her and she told the driver to go to the park it was a bright winter day and bitterly cold miss beers asked fred to tell her about the game at new haven and when he did so paid no attention to what he said she sank back into the hansom and held her muff before her face lowering it occasionally to utter the conic remarks about the people in the carriage as they passed interrupting fred's narrative in a disconcerting manner as they entered the park he happened to glance under her white black hat at her black eyes and hair the muff hit everything else and discovered that she was crying to his solicitous inquiry she replied that it was enough to make you damp to go and try on dresses to marry a man you weren't king about further explanations followed she had thought she was perfectly cracked about brisbane until she met fred at the holland house three days ago then she knew she would scratch brisbane's eyes out if she married him what was she going to do fred told the driver to keep going what did she want to do well she didn't know one had to marry somebody after all the machinery had been put in motion perhaps she might as well scratch brisbane as anybody else for scratch she would if she didn't get what she wanted 
Of course Fred agreed. One had to marry somebody. And certainly this girl beat anything he had ever been up against before. Again he told the driver to go ahead. Did she mean that she would think of marrying him by any chance? Of course she did, Alphonse. Hadn't he seen that all over her face three days ago? If he hadn't, he was a snowball. By this time, Fred was beginning to feel sorry for the driver. Miss Beers, however, was compassionless. After a few more turns, Fred suggested tea at a casino. He was very cold himself, and remembering the shining silk hose and pumps, he wondered that the girl was not frozen. As they got out of the hansom, he slipped the driver a bill and told him to have something hot while he waited. At the tea-table, in a snug glass enclosure, with the steam sputtering in the pipes beside them, and a brilliant winter sunset without, they developed their plan. Miss Beers had with her plenty of money, destined for tradesmen, which she was quite willing to divert into other channels. The first excitement of buying a trousseau had worn off, anyway. It was very much like any other shopping. Fred had his allowance, and a few hundred he had won on the game. She would meet him tomorrow morning at the Jersey Ferry. They could take one of the westbound Pennsylvania trains and go anywhere, someplace where the laws weren't too fussy. Fred had not even thought about the laws. It would be all right with her father. He knew Fred's family. Now that they were engaged, she thought she would like to drive a little more. They were jerked about in the cab for another hour through the deserted park. Miss Beers, having removed her hat, reclined upon Fred's shoulder. The next morning they left Jersey City by the latest fast train out. They had some misadventures crossed several states before they found a justice obliging enough to marry two persons whose names automatically instigated inquiry. The bride's family were rather pleased with her originality. Besides, any one of the Ottenburg boys was clearly a better match than young Brisbane. With Otto Ottenburg, however, the affair went down hard, and to his wife, the once proud Katerina Furst, such a disappointment was almost unbearable. Her sons had always been clay in her hands, and now the Galipte Zone had escaped her. Beers, the packer, gave his daughter a house in St. Louis, and Fred went into his father's business. At the end of the year, he was mutely appealing to his mother for sympathy. At the end of two, he was drinking and in open rebellion. He had learned to detest his wife. Her wastefulness and cruelty revolted him. The ignorance and the fatuous conceit which lay behind her grimacing mask of slang and ridicule humiliated him so deeply that he became absolutely reckless. Her grace was only an uneasy wriggle. Her audacity was the result of insolence and envy, and her wit was restless spite. As her personal mannerisms grew more and more odious to him, he began to dull his perceptions with champagne. He had it for tea, he drank it with dinner, and during the evening he took enough to ensure that he would be well insulated when he got home. 
this behavior spread alarm among his friends it was scandalous and it did not occur among brewers he was violating the noblest oblige of his guilt his father and his father's partners looked alarmed when fred's mother went to him and with clasped hands entreated an explanation he told her that the only trouble was that he couldn't hold enough wine to make life endurable so he was going to get out from under and enlist in the navy he didn't want anything but the shirt on his back and clean salt air his mother could look out he was going to make a scandal mrs ottenburg went to kansas city to see mr beers and had the satisfaction of telling him that he had brought up his daughter like a savage eine ungebildete all the ottenburgs and all the beers and many of their friends were drawn into the quarrel it was to public opinion however and not to his mother's activities that fred owed his partial escape from bondage the cosmopolitan brewing world of st louis had conservative standards the ottenburg's friends were not predisposed in favor of the plunging kansas city set and they disliked young fred's wife from the day that she was brought among them they found her ignorant and ill-bred and insufferably impertinent when they became aware of how matters were going between her and fred they omitted no opportunity to snub her young fred had always been popular and st louis people took up his cause with warmth even the younger men among whom mrs fred tried to draft a following at first avoided and then ignored her her defeat was so conspicuous her life became such a desert that she at last consented to accept the house in santa barbara which mrs otto ottenburg had long owned and cherished this villa with its luxuriant gardens was the price of fred's furlough his mother was only too glad to offer it in his behalf as soon as his wife was established in california fred was transferred from st louis to chicago a divorce was the one thing edith would never never give him she told him so and she told his family so and her father stood behind her she would enter into no arrangement that might eventually lead to divorce she had insulted her husband before guests and servants had scratched his face thrown hand mirrors and hairbrushes and nail scissors at him often enough but she knew that fred was hardly the fellow who would go into court and offer that sort of evidence in her behavior with other men she was discreet after fred went to chicago his mother visited him often and dropped a word to her old friends there who were already kindly disposed toward the young men they gossiped a little as was compatible with the interests they felt undertook to make life agreeable for fred and told his story only where they felt it would do good to girls who seemed to find the young brewer attractive so far he had behaved well and had kept out of entanglements since he was transferred to chicago fred had been abroad several times and had fallen more and more into the way of going about among young artists people with whom personal relations were incidental with women and even girls who had careers to follow 
a young man might have pleasant friendships without being regarded as a prospective suitor or lover among artists his position was not irregular because with them his marriageableness was not an issue his tastes his enthusiasm and his agreeable personality made him welcome with thea kronborg he had allowed himself more liberty than he usually did in his friendships or gallantries with young artists because she seemed to him distinctly not the marrying kind she impressed him as equipped to be an artist and to be nothing else already directed concentrated formed as to mental habit he was generous and sympathetic and she was lonely and needed friendship needed cheerfulness she had not much power of reaching out toward useful people or useful experiences did not see opportunities she had no tact about going after good positions or enlisting the interests of inferential persons she antagonized people rather than conciliated them he discovered at once that she had a merry side a robust humor that was deep and hearty like her laugh but it slept most of the time under her own doubts and the dullness of her life she had not what is called a sense of humor that is she had no intellectual humor no power to enjoy the absurdities of people no relish of their pretentiousness and inconsistencies which only depressed her but her joviality fred felt was an asset and ought to be developed he discovered that she was more receptive and more effective under a pleasant stimulus than she was under the great grind which she considered her salvation she was still methodist enough to believe that if a thing were hard and irksome it must be good for her and yet whatever she did well was spontaneous under the least glow of excitement as at mrs nathanmeyer's he had seen the apprehensive frowning drudge of bower's studio flash into a resourceful and consciously beautiful woman his interest in thea was serious almost from the first and so sincere that he felt no distrust of himself he believed that he knew a great deal more about her possibilities than bowers knew and he liked to think that he had given her a stronger hold on life she had never seen herself or known herself as she did at mrs nathanmeyer's musical evenings she had been a different girl ever since he had not anticipated that she would grow more fond of him than his immediate usefulness warranted he thought he knew the ways of artists and as he said she must have been added from her cradle he had imagined perhaps but never really believed that he would find her waiting for him sometime as he found her waiting on the day he reached the biltmer ranch once he found her so well he did not pretend to be anything more or less than a reasonably well-intentioned young man a lovesick girl or a flirtatious woman he could have handled easily enough but a personality like that unconsciously revealing itself for the first time under the exaltation of a personal feeling what could one do but watch it as he used to say to himself in reckless moments back there in the canyon you can't put out a sunrise he had to watch it and then he had to share it 
Besides, was he really going to do her any harm? The Lord knew he would marry her if he could. Marriage would be an incident, not an end with her. He was sure of that. If it were not he, it would be someone else. Someone who would be a weight about her neck, probably. Who would hold her back and beat her down and divert her from the first plunge for which he felt she was gathering all her energies. He meant to help her, and he could not think of another man who would. He went over his unmarried friends, east and west, and he could not think of one who would know what she was driving at, or care. The clever ones were selfish, the kindly ones were stupid. Damn it, if she's going to fall in love with somebody, it had better be me than any of the others, of the sort she'd find get her tied up with some conceited ass who'd try to make her over, train her like a puppy. Give one of them a big nature like that, and he'd be horrified. He wouldn't show his face in the clubs until he'd gone after her and calmed her down to conform to some full ideas in his own head, put there by some other woman, too, his first sweetheart, or his grandmother, or a maiden aunt. At least... I understand her. I know what she needs and where she's bound, and I mean to see that she has a fighting chance. His own conduct looked crooked, he admitted, but he asked himself whether, between men and women, all ways were not more or less crooked. He believed those which are called straight were the most dangerous of all. They seemed to him, for the most part, to lie between windowless stone walls, and their rectitude had been achieved at the expense of light and air. In their unquestioned regularity lurked every sort of human cruelty and meanness, and every kind of humiliation and suffering. He would rather have any woman he cared for wounded than crushed. He would deceive her not once, he told himself fiercely, but a hundred times, to keep her free. When Fred went back to the observation card at one o'clock, after the luncheon call, it was empty, and he found Thea alone on the platform. She put out her hand and met his eyes. It's as I said, things have closed behind me. I can't go back. So I'm going on to Mexico. She lifted her face with an eager, questioning smile. Fred met it with a sinking heart. Had he really hoped she would give him another answer? He would have given pretty much anything, but there, that did no good. He could give only what he had. Things were never complete in this world. You had to snatch at them as they came or go without. Nobody could look into her face and draw back. Nobody who had any courage. She had courage enough for anything. Look at her mouth and chin and eyes. Where did it come from, that light? How could a face, a familiar face, become so the picture of hope, be painted with the very colors of youth's exaltation? She was right. She was not one of those who draw back. Some people get on by avoiding dangers, others by riding through them. They stood by the railing, looking back at the sand levels both feeling that the train was steaming ahead very fast. Fred's mind was a confusion of images and ideas. 
only two things were clear to him the force of her determination and the belief that handicapped as he was he could do better by her than another man would do he knew he would always remember her standing there with that expectant forward-looking smile enough to turn the future into summer end of part four section eight recording by shi ping ling